0: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
3: Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who have chiseled good looks in their joinery. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it is episode number 442 for July 2nd, 2018. On today's show, we are talking about what's the deal with number 6-4 planes, support for large tabletops, building boats, and furniture styles. And we'd like to thank a few folks who helped us out over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash woodtalk. And let's see, who do we have here? Casey Williams, Matt Grassi, and the, oh, it says Meat no, okay, I can't tell because of the way they word their emails anymore. It's confusing, but it says meet the dumbest woodworker. <laughs> so that's the guy Is the guy's name is the dumbest woodworker.
4: All right. All
3: right. I'm cool. sh- I'm sure that's not true. There are many There's always someone dumber than you. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> yeah. that's the positive way to look at life there's always someone down there but yeah if you want to help us out too like those folks we will uh, thank you at the top of the show and you can get a few other things in return I think we have like uh, one of the levels gives you stickers another one is t-shirts a lot of fun Uh, and that's at patreon.com slash woodtalk right, so let's get started with what's on the bench and all all I can say guys is I want to finish this stupid desk and there's just stuff keeps getting in the way like other, other obligations, other distractions. So I had a few obligations that I had to get done. Those are good excuses. But then Nicole and the kids go out of town for almost a week. And that time, like it flew by so fast. So much oh, so. it always
5: does. Yeah, always.
3: it's crazy. And we had a little bit of a heat wave uh, here in Denver. And I totally forgot to convert our water system so that the vegetables get more water during this time. Well, the time just flew by so fast. I went outside. My poor lettuce plants, which were all like very erect and very happy, you know, prior to them leaving. Uh, on the day they come back, I just went outside and I'm like, oh my gosh, these things are all laying flat. <laughs> all my romaine is all wilted. And everything's <laughs> would, just- Would you sh- say they were flaccid? They were definitely flaccid. They went from fully erect to flaccid over the course of like five days. Okay. And- and I'm like, I just you- had to get that out there so you all
1: yeah. know where I was going with this just, conversation. You're driving I, it? I
5: left it alone, but you know.
3: Well, <laughs> well, he's the immature one on the show, Matt. So you know. Oh yeah, That's you right. got you got to let him do his thing. That, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my veggies are all like crying, and but it, but it just goes to show me how much like granted it was a lot of time that I had, but it flew by. And what did I do with that time? Oh, I, I cleaned my shop. I built chisel racks. Uh, I built a rack for my lathe tools. Like absolutely nothing that had to be done. <laughs> so I don't know what it is about like when I have that. It doesn't happen very often, but if I've got time alone and what I what my brain sees is like bonus time, I immediately want to do shop improvement stuff. <laughs> it's kind of weird. So I just want to have fun and relax. Yeah, woodworkers yeah. just want to have fun. That's exactly what it was. I wanted to be in the shop, but I didn't necessarily want it to be like you know, job time. I wanted it to be like happy. Yeah. Not real work time, (laughs) happy fun shop time. And to me, that's what shop furniture is. So
1: yeah. Yeah, So I'm with you. I'm with you on that. There's something like the OCD in all of us that wants like a hanger for everything place to put everything right little you know, custom and-
3: holders i mean it's oh, yeah. it's very satisfying and it is you know i mean know, let's be real look at the floor on your lathe before you built that thing i know it was pretty awful even right? even
1: i trolled you on that yeah
3: <laughs> yeah well normally the tools aren't on the floor the tools are usually laying on the lathe bed just to get them off the ground but because of what i had done the last you know few days prior to that all the tools are on the floor so it just looked way worse than it normally is But a a lathe rack in a lathe tool rack is like way overdue. But because I don't turn that much, it's like, ah, I'll get it someday. Uh, So it was really nice to get that out of the way. Just those little things. And they make a difference. Like at the router table, um, I've got an Incra base. So it's a metal open base. There's not a whole lot of storage. Well, there's no storage on it. So uh, unless I want to build a cabinet to go inside it, I have to just kind of hook things up to the T-tracks on the stand. And uh, so I would span across there just pieces of wood and drill holes and and this way I've got like the the little thing that raises the router and my little collet wrenches, things like that all now have a nice home so they don't have to sit on top of the router table. It's it's such a simple thing and it took like 10 minutes to do at the most, Uh, but it really does. I mean these little things, these little creature comfort things can make life in the shop a whole lot better and make it take just maybe five minutes longer before the shop ends up in that like super messy state again in the future. I, yeah, just, that. I sat on a potato chip. What? Your butt was hungry. This is this is why I don't <laughs> eat lunch at my desk. Yeah, my butt's eating chips off, off schedule. I had no idea. I quit it, uh, butt. Joe title. <laughs> my, my butt's eating chips. Um Yeah, let's just bypass the mouth altogether and send it straight to the butt. <laughs> you
1: know? See see Mark, there are input and output channels. You
3: really don't want to mix those up. Oh, it doesn't go the other way? Okay, well, good to know. <laughs> All right, so that's it for me. Leave it alone, leave it alone. Yeah, you should. Matt, what do you got going on?
5: Oh, I'm playing outside.
0: Putting my software
5: back together. Finishing it up finally. So it was, um, I can definitely tell, like, the things that I get enjoyment from are definitely not building the machine. It's definitely using it. Mm -hmm. Which (laughs) is why, like, as soon as it was operational enough to cut a log, that's what it was doing. It was not getting finished. So, now I'm kind of doing all that stuff that I skipped, like, uh, 18 months ago, just because I want to cut stuff instead of working on it some more.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: So, yeah. I don't know if it's not that exciting.
1: am with you there. I'm, I'm looking out my window right now at my bungee lathe that I've been using now for five years, and I still have not, like, <clears throat> cut off the corners on the bottom of the, like... <laughs> <laughs> ease the edges on anything. It's basically just like thrown together and I was like, Oh, cool, now I'm gonna use it. And I haven't added any of the creature comforts to the thing. <laughs> Five years later, too busy using it.
5: Exactly it. Yep. I'd rather be using it than working on
1: it. <laughs> For sure. Faux show. Fo show. I was a little shocked. I saw I don't know, I guess it was probably Instagram. You said was it eleven months since you've used it? I, you know, like the
5: that. last time I cut anything was the, the week that I went to go visit Mark. When I got back from that. So the first really? third, second week in August. That that's long ago. Easy. Yep. It's been
1: set out there. Yep. I mean, I guess I've been seeing like images of you like grabbing logs and like moving stuff around. And I, maybe you've replayed some old oh, sawing yeah, I, footage or I, something. I, I so. held
5: on to a couple of videos that I shot last spring oh, to release over the winter. So I had something for the winter time, um, which is funny because the people that were following along were like, "What happened to the paint job you did?" Well, just <laughs> <videos> predate that, <laughs> just <laughs> happened to <laughs> hold on to them because uh, I magic. didn't edit them.
3: Wow. So yeah,
1: that, that's that, crazy. It's been so long. That's stupid, high boy, man. Jeez.
3: Oh, oh, it's killing <laughs> me. Well, and you guys got a you got a pretty long winter too.
5: Like yeah, starts I mean, starts it was, early and ends there late. Was snow on the ground two months ago. We had a foot of snow. Right. <laughs> so there's that too. But, you know, that's like when people are like, what well, do your neighbors think when well, you cutting stuff on your sawmill all the time? I'm like, I don't really use it as much as you think I do.
3: <laughs> as much as my uh, <laughs> on- online activities would make you believe.
5: I'm out there <clears throat> sawing all day, every day. No, not particularly. <laughs>
3: <laughs> nice. Shannon, what about you?
1: Uh, well, technically, I was on vacation last week. Mm. So um, I was Whitland. <laughs> I actually did. I actually did. I, I went. Um, uh, my wife and I went down to Tennessee, and I specifically took um, a couple days, more than a couple days, and I hiked the Appalachian Trail to the Smoky Mountains. And like, <clears throat> I figured, you know what? It, it, this is this is, and this is the mind of you guys can relate to this. I'm going somewhere. Um, one, how can I tax deduct this? Me? Yep. <laughs> what do I do? What am I filming in order to tax deduct this? So, you know, in, in my backpack, uh, oh. I had a carving axe and um, some spoon knives and just, you know, sloyd knives. And it was, I filmed a couple things while I was out on the trail, which was very surreal. Because, I mean, the whole idea was to unplug and just get away for a while. Um, but I still had, you know, an HD video camera and a small like Gorillapod tripod and everything, and a lavalier mic in my backpack. I like I <laughs> like didn't take other things that I probably should have taken, like for survival, <laughs> because water I needed. You know, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll figure that out somewhere along the way. You know, who cares about Giardia? You know, that's the input output thing. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I, I literally spent a couple nights in a campsite whittling because <laughs> it was just fun. I, I don't know. I guess I'm getting old. It's very therapeutic to just sit there with a knife and take wood and make it
3: smaller. <laughs> did you so mumble to yourself once in a while? I did. And I like, did. You're and, just chewing. I, your your mouth is moving and chewing on something, but there's actually nothing in your mouth.
1: Yeah. Every now and then I screamed, <laughs> crazy kids, keep it down. And,
4: yeah. Get off so, my
3: lawn.
1: Yeah. I, I carved <laughs> a couple of spoons and then immediately, like toss them off into the woods because you know, they, it was, this one was ugly. Didn't really feel like doing anything with that or, you know, it was just kind of the whole point, the meditative point of just kind of working wood. It was nice. It was fun. It was mostly about the hike. So
3: I had a good time. Sounds good. Hey, so you brought up something total aside. But for those of us who, who do run businesses and we have to make these decisions about uh, what's a business expense and what's not, there's so much gray area, especially when what you do is something you, you know, you do it almost as a way of life as much as it is, you know, something that generates revenue. I, and right. I don't know about you guys, but I do have a problem sometimes like figuring out where is that line and what can i get away with and and i i should probably talk to my accountant about this like <laughs> where like finding out where that line is like is it enough to simply say oh we did something business related on this trip but meanwhile we're at disney world you know what i mean like and right. how, how much burden of proof is there that it was truly a work related thing like how is I don't know let's say I go to like a geek conference of some sort right and I'm saying I'm going there for podcasting and networking reasons well who who's going to tell me that that's not true even if the reality is I just went there to talk about video games and hang out with some friends so I'm not, I'm not saying I'm doing this but I'm wondering at what point do you, do you cross that line like when you have your sure. own business like this.
1: Well, I can tell you I've spoken with my accountant and he says that I need to do more of this (laughs) because I'm like you. I'm like, well, I mean, let's be real. He's like, no, seriously. Like what you need to do is even if you film anything, you know, if you had to travel some distance to that location to film it, everything involved with that travel should be expensive. And but, I'm like,
3: yeah, but he's like, no, no, but just do it. <laughs> just <laughs> but do even it. if, what if you don't film? What if you say it was for something that was networking and how yeah, intangible no, can you get? <laughs> like there's networking as, as like weird of a excuse as possible, but one handshake could be a business deal. So theoretically networking is, is a viable reason to go somewhere. Right.
1: Well, yeah? and at the same time, like all of us post, you know, non woodworking stuff on like our Instagram feeds, that's true. but that's still part of like the business persona, right? Yeah, like, it is, I mean, any marketing person will tell you, you want to show humanity that you don't want to just be all business. Like you want to do that crazy goofy thing with, you know, at, at the comic con, um, because that's part of your persona, Mark. Yeah. And one might say, yeah, you went to nerd tacular, and you probably picked up a couple of points because there's some pretty amazing podcasters there. And you could say, yeah, that might make sense. But at the same time, you probably posted something on Instagram, which is part of your sure. brand. And that's what my accountant was saying to me. He's like, it is so easy to justify a business expense. He's like, you need to do more of this. He, he yelled at <laughs> me great. this year. He's like, you did not deduct enough. I was yeah. like, well, what do you want me to do? Just spend more money? He's like, no, just make more reasons to do business stuff. So, yeah. yeah. But generally, I make an attempt to film because that is, in my mind, very cut and dried. Yeah. that's like,
3: You're capturing something that, that has a direct right. revenue associated yeah. with it.
1: So, I, like, I filmed a video for the tool School in the forest of, the, of Smoky Mountain National Park. Awesome. It's like, I had to drive to Tennessee to get this. So, therefore, all those expenses and everything around it. Now, if I then turn around and went to Disney World the next day, like, you're saying, okay, I'm not going to expense the park tickets. But – the, you know, and my accountant's very big on rent a car because then it's 100% deductible. Yeah. Whereas then if you're taking your own car, it gets a little, you know, fuzzy or whatever. But yeah, yeah it's, I, I see where you're coming from. But at the same time, <laughs> when my accountant's saying, <laughs> do more of it, do more, do more. Yeah. Interesting.
5: Okay.
3: Well, good
1: to well, know. I was I was very
5: deduct- curious. I should be deducting my trip to Italy then, because I did a shop update there and I did all the Instagram stories I was and, there. And, and
3: that's the trick. But your wife is associated with that. You can't. You you probably can't pay for any of her stuff, including meals, if she doesn't work for the business. What if she held the camera? Then you yeah. have to like contract her, <laughs> you know, like she, she <laughs> See, there's a perfect example. Like I
1: really enjoyed watching your story while you were in Italy. I mean, it was beautiful shots, like the the, the, the silly videos of you like walking through town. Like that's so cool. Like so how many how many views and this is stuff that technically should be like monetizable? I hate that word, but you know what I'm talking about. I mean, these are metrics that you look at on your own Instagram account. Yeah, it's all part of it. And you you probably saw quite a few views on that that just increased your brand so it should be deductible yeah stores are
5: like uh, 8,000 <clears> views each something like right, that yeah they get
1: some They're
3: traction able, clips alright well uh, uh, sorry about the diversion yeah. but, uh, <laughs> I was say,
1: so all the people that want us to talk more about woodworking have already stopped listening to this <laughs> show the,
3: oh, well, no see this is kind of relevant there are woodworkers who run woodworking businesses who probably have to make similar decisions about this stuff you know what's an expense and what's not I think That's it's kind fair? of like a business owner question.
1: Go go visit an out-of-town lumber yard. While you're on vacation, go visit a That's yard it. and buy some wood.
3: Bam, you're Dollar done. takes, yeah. <laughs> all right, so let's get into what's new. I got a couple things that I picked out here. First of all, you may have seen this floating around. It's the guy who made a stool using only his body parts, including his fingernails and his teeth to, speaking of whittling, uh, whittling away at these pieces of wood to make a stool.
1: Okay, I thought you meant the stool uh, was made from his body parts. Oh, God. (laughs) That's just nasty. That is
3: disgusting. Fingernails in the stool. (laughs) Right. Epoxy. uh, Is that
1: now what you're talking
5: about?
3: I uh, gotta look at this. Say that again. What? Is that now what you're
1: talking about? No, he used his body as the tools, not yes. the body as stools. Oh, stool. so what you're
5: describing it is like he casts his fingernails. Yeah, he casts his exactly. fingernails <laughs> in resin. <yeah. laughs> so it's like, so like
3: this is kind of gross. How did I not see this? That, <laughs>
1: that is, is disgusting. thing has gone so, too far, people. Yeah,
3: so no, this. so this guy uh, does this, and I'm reading the article. It's like a Core 77 article, and there are no pictures of him actually doing the activity. So, of course, I'm suspicious because I'm like, all right, so there's this really – you know, fancy picture of him just biting a perfectly clean board that's you know just the pretty picture and then there is a picture of the after shot of this thing done and i'm like wow there's a lot of things that needed to happen between those two points <laughs> and i would like to see those <laughs> so there's a video right and it's actually at the end of the article it's kind of weird like they're not really pushing the video but it's there so go and look at the video and his dad is a woodworker and he went there you know to get help and they're kind of just comically using the dude's body as a tool and like the dad is like holding his head and making him chew the board Uh, and there's a point where you see his like gums are bleeding but given the time frame (laughs) that they state in this video, they're on day two and they're like assembling this thing. I'm going to call BS on most of this and Mm. part, part of the thing is um, there's two issues. One is there's, the guy's releasing some kind of a movie, something about, and it has to do with the body and and modern times and, and I guess what happens if we just have to depend on ourselves. So there might be something interesting going on there, but I think this is just promotional stuff. Um, the second thing is, in the video, there's really, you don't see him doing a whole lot of the actual activity and, and I know how long it takes to make a furniture part with tools and seeing where they got in two days with this, I, I I can't believe that that's even remotely possible. Um, also, if you look at the seat of the stool, there are cutouts and then holes for where the legs of the stool would go up with tenons into these these through, I guess, mortises. But you would normally drill those with a you know big Forstner bit or something. And the holes that are in there, given the thickness of this thing, I don't think it's possible for him to do this. And if it if he did it, his hands would be in a hell of a lot worse shape. Than, than they are. So I don't, I'm, I'm going to call BS on most of this. It's funny and interesting. He, he didn't
1: use his hands as the drill bit.
3: That like, I know you're being funny, but <laughs> like ha, <laughs> seriously, I mean, have you guys I looked know at being this? I know you funny, but it's not funny. But it's not funny, <laughs> funny at all. Um, I'm curious if either of you believe that this is even possible given the time frame that we're, we're talking about here, just a few days. It just seems like a promotional, yeah. cat, catchy thing. It seems like BS to me. I can't imagine how that's
1: yeah. possible.
3: Yeah, I'm not saying it, like someone couldn't do this over time, but given the the prettiness of the presentation, it's too clean. Everything is just too well done. And the, and the, if they're, you know, the time frame in the video, which they certainly were no under no obligation to say that this thing was built in just a couple of days, but it's there's just no way they would have been able to with a person's body remove that much stock and get the shaping done that needed to be done for that to be successful. So I'm, I'm, I'm calling BS officially on this, but check it out. It, it is interesting. It's fun to think about. And it does make you think like if you had to do this, like what that would be like, how far you would you get before you give up and say, well, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? Cause I mean, even I
1: just, I just think of all like, there's always this undercurrent and kind of the, the hand tool community of, you know, well, <clears throat> why don't you just go back to a stone and an ax, you know, like, yeah oh, okay, you know, you're being a traditionalist because you're using, I get it a lot because I have modern, I have new tools. I have a lot of Veritas and Lee Nielsen. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you know, you need to use a Stanley tool. And then somebody's like, well, you know, really what you need to use an ax. And then someone else says, well, what you really need is a sharpened rock. So this guy just steps up and goes, screw all your rocks and stuff. I'm just going to chew my way through. Teeth
3: and nails. Well, the funny thing yeah. is, even if you have like just your complete Neanderthal monkey brain, you're probably still capable of picking up a sharp rock. <laughs> which would make this process right. a sharp rock and a stick and that would make this process a lot easier. That would be amazing technology for something yeah. like this.
1: As long, as long as you have Richard Strauss as the
3: soundtrack. Sure. That's, uh, I'm going to admit that that's well above my head. And, yep.
1: uh, 2001. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Also Sprach Zarathustra. Come on, people. Look, keep up. You're the only music Apple. major in this Monkeys, monolith, <laughs> bones.
3: Come on. Stanley Kubrick film. Good stuff. Was it in Back to the Future? Because if not, I probably <laughs> yes. probably never heard it. Yeah. There was that one scene right before <laughs> Michael J. Fox took a guitar. Oh, you know, uh, okay. Did Strauss. Yeah. 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 So it, Huey Lewis <laughs> is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the other thing I want to mention really quickly is a new podcast. We like to um, occasionally mention them when they pop up. So this one is called Woodworkers Podcast. And I don't believe they have a website yet. You can find them on Stitcher and in the Apple. Uh, podcast app so just search for woodworkers podcast so these are a few guys that i've been following on instagram so i i uh, took like a lot of times it happens the other way uh, i'll start listening to a podcast and go oh i should probably follow these people on instagram um so this one was particularly interesting because specifically uh ramon and phil both of those guys i've interacted with on um uh, instagram a few times and ben i just started following him and, uh, you know, really interesting perspectives on woodworking from um, more of a pro perspective, and some very talented, uh, accomplished guys on this one. Um, so they just started. I think they're only a few episodes in at this point. I was listening to one of them on my walk this morning, and it was really good. So check them out. Uh, Woodworkers Podcast. Cool. Yeah, it's good stuff. The more the merrier, right? Or not, but. Absolutely. I mean sometimes it's just sometimes it's a little much. But you know, in this case I I welcome it. All right. What do we got here for kickback? Um I gave that first one to you, Shannon.
1: Yeah, this is from William. He says, I wanted to offer some kickback, but in light of recent revelations about your all's ability to take criticism or lack thereof, (laughs) I feel kickback is too strong a word. Perhaps a gentle nudge back. Anyway, regarding <laughs> furniture on the bucket list to build, inspired by TV or film, I have a couple of chairs I'd like to do. First, the red armchair from The Matrix will be great, but my chop, top choice would be Cherry from Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> That's awesome. That's
3: awesome. Cherry's just yes. a bunch of upholstery. Not a whole yeah. lot going on there.
1: You know, you got to build the frame
3: underneath. I guess a little poplar. <laughs> a little poplar frame. Uh, okay, so the rest of this stuff is going to be voicemails here. Oh, no, there's more after that. Holy smokes. we got a lot of kickback. Let's just uh, let's dig in then. So Andrew called in.
2: Hi, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. This is Andrew Verbovsky from Exton, Pennsylvania. Uh, I have some kickback for you regarding Shannon's commentary on the disappearance of the board foot. While I'm not betting against you, Shannon, I'd certainly hate to see the uh, – Board foot go away. As a small hobbyist that sells live edge uh, boards here and there, the board foot really provides me with a good metric of value regarding each board, uh, especially something that's not surfaced as 4s um, or as 2s. It lets me know how much wood is there and what I should price it at. Um, so. In that regard, I hope it sticks around. I hope you're wrong, but I guess we'll wait and see. Uh, as always, thanks, guys, for not quitting. I guess that's obligatory now, <laughs> and uh, I really appreciate the podcast. See you later.
3: And not to delve too much into this, but why why does the board fit benefit him? Like, why can't he simply- I don't follow that at all. Can he have different sets of boards, each with a specific thickness, and then sell it in a linear fashion? Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. if you have varying widths, then it get, might get a little more complicated. But right, just, I mean, it's
5: just easier from a volumetric standpoint. I think for that kind of stuff. Yeah, because everything's gonna be different. All the boards will be different widths. It's all random width. Probably maybe different thicknesses as well. And random width,
3: wh- random width along each slab. Like with, yeah. within itself, it has different widths.
1: Yeah, okay, <clears throat> that's true. When you're dealing with an irregular shape like that, it kind of has to be volumetric. So okay, no, I, I follow them there, um, and and in that case, I would agree with them that I hope that it doesn't disappear there, because that would probably mean the disappearance of slabs. Um, so I, it probably won't disappear when you're talking about irregular shapes. Yeah, um, just because that is the only way to do it, right? You know, I mean, if it's 22 inches wide at one point and 36 inches wide at another, and 18 in the in the middle, yeah, you can't really put a linear on that. Um, but at the same time, go the other direction and look at like turning blanks. You don't buy a bowl blank that is three board feet, you know, or 12 board feet. You even, you don't even buy like a hollow vessel blank. That's 16 quarter by whatever you're buying it. It's $20. That's
3: actually a really, that's a really good example of like why, when it comes to these sorts of slabs, shouldn't they just be priced per slab, especially, you know, with that's the, that's how I've seen them done. Yeah. You like know? with I mean, the, the, the sort of day and age that we have now where these slabs are such visual show pieces. It's like, well, you know what, if this one who cares what the thickness width, length is, right. because if it has this, the, the, the most amazing uh, crotch, you know, you don't talk about well, that. Right. And, and that, um, and that's
1: where I would actually say the board footage can actually do you a disservice. Right. Because, You can look at, you know, and I see people do this all the time. Somebody will post something online of this beautiful slab. You know, here's a Perota tabletop, live edge, 38 inches wide. And somebody does some quick calculation. and goes, wow, you know, that's over such and such dollars a board foot. It's like, no, it doesn't really work that way. Because what you're looking at is a unique item. You're looking at something that's not just a run of the mill. Literally, that's where the expression comes from. It's just a run of the mill board. This is a unique slab with unique figure. And, you know, the $3,000 price tag on this broken down, divided by board foot. Oh, my God, that's $120 a board foot. Normally, I can buy Perota for $9 a board foot. Well, they're kind of different because this is not this is something that when it's gone, it's gone. There's not another stack of it in the back somewhere. And that's why figured lumber. That's why veneer. That's why a lot of slabs are priced per the item, not per volume, because the price, let's be real, is dramatically inflated. You're not selling that, you know, whatever, insert crazy jungle wood species here, whatever that wide slab is, because the fact of the matter is because of the fact that it's wide, because of the fact that it has live edges, it already is something that is unusual. Yeah. you know, It's something that had to have been in some ways rescued from a mill that was trying to turn it into normal boards because that's the majority of the industry <laughs> going after it, you know, and, and <laughs> I don't have. Twenty thousand board feet of slabs. I have three slabs, and when they're gone, they're gone. Well, yeah. So and is anyone really scarcity ordering, means price goes way up?
3: Is anyone ordering slabs on uh, you know based on linear foot or board foot?
1: No, they're ordering. I need a slab. Right. So I, I or would imagine occasionally like, a couple slab.
3: I imagine. Right. <laughs> that is the unit of measurement everyone should be using. Um, I would imagine though, the volumetric measurement might be important for his side of the business, the back end, but not even really the customer doesn't have to know anything about that. But that could be part of how he calculates his prices, certainly. But when he puts it on the shelf and sells it, I can't imagine the board foot or linear foot uh, being very helpful to him. I don't know, get get, get back with us on that, Andrew, if you have a little bit more clarification on why that's so beneficial to you from a customer-facing standpoint. Uh, All right, so Ken called in and has some uh, kickback on not using real names.
6: Hey, Magilla, Fuzzy, and Mark the Spagnificent. Uh, This is Ken from Virginia with a little bit of kickback about one of the things that you hated on episode 439 last week. Uh, I know uh, Matt brought up that uh, he doesn't care for people who just use a moniker in their online persona and they don't use their real name. Uh, I just wanted to mention, and you've probably gotten a dozen other calls about this by now, but uh, in case nobody else brings it up, it's very possible... That the people that uh, bother you so much by not using their real names may have listened to a colleague of yours, April Wilkerson, on another.
7: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
6: Another podcast, one that Mark has been on, I believe, but uh, uh, when they were talking about uh, uh, becoming a YouTube personality, she lent a cautionary tale about using your real name and advised against it because uh, as I recall the story, she has had people, April has had people who figured out because she uses her real name and they can figure out where roughly she is they can go online and figure out where she lives and she's had drop bys from uh uninvited and unexpected guests that uh made her a bit uncomfortable so i think uh it's possible that people are heeding the advice of someone who's uh had problems uh come up by using their their real name online so maybe that's uh an excuse or a a justification for the people who uh who annoy Matt so much by not saying who they really are. Just wanted to let you know.
3: It's interesting. Um, I didn't actually hear that full episode. Was she referring to using your name at all or wasn't, I thought she was referring to using your name as your brand because that's what she did with um, April Wilkerson and Wilker Like her name is her brand but was she actually talking about complete anonymity because that's hard to do. That's really hard to do.
5: And I guess my only my response to this, I guess, is that it wasn't really the people that are like trying to do like content creation and put themselves out there. These are people who like have a forward facing customer focused business page or mm-hmm. like they're trying to sell you stuff or sell customers on stuff like call me. I'll make you a table, but yeah. you don't
3: know who what my name is to call me. Right. But yeah. I, I totally understand that
5: side of things, too.
3: Well, and look, if you're making content online, guess what? The drop ins, they're going to happen. Oh yeah, and they've happened to me, and I it's guess
1: happened it, it, to all of us. I think haven't they? I yeah, know, Matt, you've had people show up to buy lumber, haven't you? I have, yeah.
3: Announced. I mean, yep. it, it's one of those things that I think you, you know, that there are differences in the perception of that when when you're a man or a woman. Um, so I would imagine it's definitely I, I, I don't know maybe it's sexist or reversed reverse sexism to think this, but I think it's a lot scarier for a woman than it is for a man. Uh, just because there's a lot of weirdos out there, <laughs> so um, yeah. I was I was more annoyed by the drop in than afraid. You know what I mean? If if that makes any sense. Um,
5: yeah. Uh, same thing for me. Like when someone just shows up, I'm like, okay, it's. I was planning on doing something else right now, right? But now you're
7: here,
3: and <laughs> so now we're how doing. Long this. long are going to be here? <laughs> Do you know how to push a broom? Just asking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean the drop ins are going to happen, man. they're just they're 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 difficult. You're putting yourself out there, but that's it's not bad advice though. If you can maintain anonymity, um, I actually am pretty careful not to mention the actual city that I live in. I always say Denver, but I don't actually live in Denver. We're in the Denver area. Um, not that that's going to help anything. It doesn't take too much work to figure out what city I'm in, but I do make efforts to to not say it any more than I have to. Just just because it's just better, <laughs> you know. But I don't know, You got, there's people I look out, out there like, um, I was
1: always amazed. I get that, a like, substantial amount of my revenue each year by selling your address to people.
3: Oh, that's good. <laughs> I was hoping. Well, that explains a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I do get amazed when I see people that like, and I guess when you have a school, it's a whole different story. But like David Marks has had his home address published online forever. You know, and it's like, dude, I, 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 I would not want to do that. And I I know he's got a lot of people dropping by, but again, he's got a school. Like people have to be able to find the school. So, it's catch 22. All right, next one here is from Mike. Wants to know, uh, what's the deal with there being no love for the number six?
4: Hey guys, Mike Davies here from up here on beautiful Vancouver Island in British Columbia, Canada. Love the show. Thanks for not quitting. All that good stuff that people have to say. Anyway, I guess this is mainly a question for Shannon since he's the hand tool guru, but since Mark and Matt have both influenced the fact that I am in a position to ask this question, they can probably chime in on this too. Uh, I have a a serviceable planer, it does the trick, but my little benchtop jointer is basically a piece of garbage. So I was looking to make my first major hand plane purchase and I was just about to pull the trigger on the low angle jack at Veritas because it's quote unquote, the only plane you need. <laughs> uh, when I stumbled upon their number six, four plane, which is maybe the sexiest piece of woodworking equipment I've ever seen in my life. And then I seem to remember Matt saying something about how he doesn't care for bevel up planes after he got the Lee Nielsen low angle jack. So I guess what I'm wondering is, why does the number six not get any love? I hear people talking about the seven and eight as jointing planes and the fours and fives have specific purposes, but I never hear anybody talk about the six. So what would I be giving up if I went with the six over the low angle jack? And what, if anything, would I be gaining? And now I say something that's hilarious or we pretend that I do and uh, give you nicknames and it's funny. So it gets played on the show. (laughs) Thanks very much.
3: Oh, that was funny! Uh, All right. So let's talk about it. Uh, Great. What's the deal with the number six? I I don't know. Six. I
1: like number six. I was going to say I do too. I use it on every project. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. You're just listening to the wrong people. He's reading the wrong articles. That's for sure. I have a feeling I know where it's coming (laughs) from because there is this. There's this movement in in just about everything. Every Hobby, you know, do more with with a single tool. You want this, you know, utilitarian tool. You can do twenty different things. It's the Swiss Army knife feel. And there's been a real push towards that lately by saying, okay, the jack plane is the only plane you need. I even have a, a video. I even have a lesson that's for sale on jack plane is your only plane because it is a useful entry point for a lot of people to not have to buy a bunch of stuff and know that if I buy this one thing. I'll be able to do a little bit of everything. Um, the fact of the matter is, you will lose efficiency when you do that. You know that there's what's that expression? Jack of all trades, master of none. You know, if you have this tool that can do a lot of stuff, okay, but nothing really, really well. Um, and when it comes to uh, a, a four-plane, I mean, traditionally, a four-plane was the thickness planer of the hand tool world. It has more mass than the number five. Generally, it had a heavily cambered iron. It was used for hogging off material really fast. If that's the job that you want to do with it, it will far exceed the performance of a number five just because of the fact that it's got a little bit more mass to it. Um, but, you know, it's. I would say the same thing with the number eight or the number seven. Yes, the number eight's a little bit bigger, a little bit longer. So technically, I suppose you could get a slightly flatter board. But, you know, do you really need a board that flat? It's, it's all a matter of... of what specifically are you using it for? You know, what kind of disposable income do you have? Do you add another tool? That's the other thing. Um, so, if you're still looking at it as your only plane, I think the number six could work. You just have to kind of think about how you plan to use it more than anything else. Mm-hmm.
3: And what um, what did he love so much about the way it looks? Was he he said the, he said the Veritas one, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it looks the same as the. The other bevel down veritas plane, right? <laughs> I mean, they're all pretty sexy. I mean, come on, but you know,
3: what's what's special about that one? That I just want to know. What do you what do you I mean, love so bevel, much? About it?
1: The bevel up plane, I do not think is aesthetically pleasing as the bevel downs. You know, there's no frog on a, on a bevel up, and it's just kind of this wide open section. I, yeah. I don't know,
3: not as much meat to it. You know, the funny thing, I had a question this morning on uh, Friday Live uh, about how you can identify like bevel up versus bevel down and I was just looking at the two and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I do like my bevel up planes but as far as aesthetics, they don't look as much like a classic hand plane like what you would expect to see just because the blade is bedded at such a like horizontal angle that you, and you could barely even see the blade in most of the cases. So uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it is a good looking plane. I'll give, I'll give them that. I just don't know what's special about it. Uh, not that it matters. Okay, let's get to uh, Joel's question. Hey
7: guys, this is Joel Mallon with North Main Wood Goods, located in Nashville, Georgia. Bum bum bum. Plot twist. Um but anyway, a couple episodes ago there was somebody who was talking about I believe it was uh back issues or something like that. Uh and or no no no, it was uh it was um carpal tunnel in re- in regards to woodworking and stuff like that. And the issue is, which disclaimer Mark, I totally get it if you cut this short because this will be a little bit long. Sorry about that. But uh, with woodworking, there's a lot of repetitive motion and things like that, and most of us are probably picking up things that are way bigger than we probably should, which means there's going to be some issues. But um, I actually had the issue of having uh, the same thing where my hands were going numb, my arms were tingling, hands were tingling, going numb, and stuff like that. So I went to a chiropractor, of course, several visits and stuff. So a couple thousand dollars later, the most useful thing he told me was to buy a foam roller for my back which is like 15 or 20 bucks on Amazon. And just do that like five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night, and over time you will see that it's corrected any of the subluxations of your vertebrae in your spinal cord. So anyway, um, thought that was a helpful tip uh, for kind of alleviating some of the hand issues associated with woodworking. Um, Also, other issues uh, associated with woodworking are stuff like runner's knee, which comes from repetitive motion, which is basically tendonitis. Um, So what I've been able to do to to kind of cure that is to use a tennis ball to rub out those tendons to make sure that they are um, kind of loosened up, warmed up, things like that before I use them. Same thing five minutes in the morning and at night while you're watching TV, something like that works great. You can also get a thing called a patellar strap which is like a Velcro elastic type band that keeps all of your tendons aligned correctly and alleviates some of that knee pain. So, with tendonitis, you can also get that in your elbows, tennis elbow, things like that. Very common among woodworkers with again with repetitive motion. Uh, you can do the same thing with that. You can get these rollers uh, to roll out your elbows. Uh, some of them are, are hardened foam, some of them are actually rollers that are on a spindle. That you anchor the spindle on a tabletop and you roll out that tendon to alleviate some of the swelling and uh, inflammation that it has. You can also ice it and stuff like that. So Sorry, this has been really long. I know this is probably a lot longer than a lot of the questions that you guys get. However, um, I think this is a nice way to kind of get a cure for some of these things without having to go to the doctor, spend thousands of dollars, and then it's still a problem. So hopefully this helps somebody. And uh, thank you guys so much. Appreciate your personalities along with all the expertise and things like that to show that uh, this is something that can be fun for just about anybody. Thank you, guys. Bye.
3: Personality and expertise. You must have the wrong show. (laughs)
1: <laughs> what are you talking about? We got lots of personality, <laughs> that's for sure. sort of. That's, I gotta say, major, major thumbs up. I love my foam roller. It's like the only way that I can, you know, walk around, mm-hmm. working out seven days a week and multiple hours a day. It's possible because of foam rolling. So that's a really good point. Yeah, I never I mean, really thought about foam rolling my wrists or my arms, but I mean. When I do lower back, legs, everything, oh, it's it's fantastic. It's myofascial release. It's good stuff.
3: Yeah, well, we ain't getting any younger, kids, and uh, this stuff is going to be more and more of a factor you know, as time goes on. So good to know. Good to be prepared. Have good habits in place. All right, so I am, uh, guys, just a little programming note, going to skip two of these because I think we're going to run long if we do them. That's fine. Uh, Shannon, why don't you hit that one in the middle there?
1: Sure. This is from William. He says, a uh, quick kick back on the lumber industry updates if for some reason in the future you guys do quit i would implore (laughs) shannon to to still do an industry update at least fortnightly if at all possible the banter and advice of the main parts of the show are great but would be would be sorely missed but his updates make up the bulk of my education of any kind during the week this is uh this is not good for my ego um side note no offense but that may be the saddest sentence i've ever written I got to go buy a book or something. Side note aside, I do generally enjoy them. Please keep it up. All right. I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. My biggest issue with the lumber industry updates is just finding stuff to talk about. Yeah. Because a lot of industry in general is quite dull. <laughs> no, it's not, tried, not all that interesting. And, well, and for the most part, industry updates all tend to fall around. Guess what? Prices are going up. And I hate to just, to just be that way all the time. So yeah. I'll, uh, I will absolutely keep it going. If nothing else, it justifies doing that during the workday.
3: There you go. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. I'm working right now. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty good. Yeah, I wonder what this kind of show would sound like if like, the three of us went solo. Yeah. What? Like, like each person does their own thing. That'd be terrible. You want to talk to myself for an hour? Yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> William well, does I watch that. No, William wants Shannon to talk for an hour, and you and me to that shut would up. Be, could you imagine that would be awful?
1: <laughs> and we'd go in like such random like directions, and there would probably be Latin spoken yeah. in there somehow. And I'd break <laughs> into
3: song at one point. All no. kinds of obscure like classical music references that nobody gets.
1: Seriously, there would just be weird <laughs> stuff. Without someone to hold me in check, it would just go totally off the radar. Yeah. Now you're just selling it. Right, right.
5: <laughs> oh, man.
1: This that'd sounds be funny. kind of
3: entertaining, actually. You might want to give that a try sometime. <laughs> yeah, maybe go for it. All right. Well, if you want to leave us a voicemail like some of those folks did, use your voice memo app in your little handheld device and send it to woodtalkonline at gmail.com. And we'll play it on the show. All right, let's get to our emails. So mine's going to be pretty quick here. It's just a question from Keith. He says, for large tabletops, and he's, I guess he's working with a 60-inch diameter top, it's an inch and five-eighths thick, uh, what are your thoughts on recessing steel bars, a bar or bars, underneath to keep the top flat? I, You know, I've never done this, but I like it. Like, if it can be done in such a way that it's not restricting wood movement, you know, terribly, it seems like a really great way to make sure that that top is going to stay flat. Because a lot of times it's like, you know, your top is secured to your base and it's not 100%, you know, sometimes it could still, you can get cupping or warpage uh, even when it's secured to, to you know, legs and an apron. But in this case, this is something where you you know the steel is going to win that battle. Uh, and as long as the wood is allowed to expand and contract, the steel is going to keep it, you know, nice and flat. So I love this idea. I mean, if you have the resources and the ability to do it, and it doesn't gunk up the table and make it look stupid, uh, as long as you could have the stuff embedded underneath and it's not poking through the ends or anything, I actually think that's a pretty cool idea. Would you guys ever do something like that, or is it, or is it like pure overkill?
4: Yeah,
5: <laughs> I'm more, I'm more meh on it. Yeah, too much overkill. It seems like an, it seems like an extra step. But well, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily – I don't know. It, I, I guess for most of the world, they don't know where their wood has come from. I can start. I can say something like that. Mm-hmm. Or like I have this intimate relationship with the wood. I know how it was dried. I don't really have a whole lot of problems with things going crazy on me because I don't usually rush the drying process.
3: You're a little more but confident we, in your materials.
5: Yeah. If, but if you're not confident in materials, then yes, absolutely. This will definitely help, especially if you don't have a – super rigid base to actually secure the tabletop down to. You know, if the tabletop is gonna warp and the base can't resist that warping and then the whole thing is gonna be, you know, one well, lazy m off the ground or something. Yeah. So I mean I mean you can do it. I have no problem with people doing it. Totally fine. Just an extra step. Just something to screw up. You know? Because <laughs> you know you that you're... you're cutting that router that, that groove in there with the router. Right. Oh no it went too deep. Oh crap, I just poked through the hole right I got a hole. Yeah. I mean I don't know if I want to risk that personally because I'll probably screw it up and that, that will really ruin your day. Yeah. All the way through this tabletop. Time for an inlay. We're going to call that a knot or put a bow tie there
0: or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's filled
1: well, with And I, I think if you're, if you're going to go to the extent of trying to hide it, it seems kind of unnecessary. But if your base itself is steel. Oh, sure. Yeah. Look, at, oh, look yeah. at every slab table on the market. I think that makes great sense. Like Mark said, as long as there's room to expand and contract. But, you know, think about recessing a steel bar Depending on the dimensions of that steel bar, it might still be quite flexible, Mm -hmm. you know, unless it's angle iron or tube, which is incredibly rigid. You know, a steel bar, say, 36 inches long, that's like, I mean, I guess two inches thick would be relatively rigid. But below that, it's still going to have some flex to it. So it would need to be relatively thick, which would mean it would have to be recessed deeper in order to hide it. So I I question how effective it would be if you're actually going to try to hide it.
5: Now, the base itself... You'd be almost all the way through that thing. Right,
3: right. And I'm not thinking solid either. I'm thinking it's got to be some kind of uh, tube material.
1: Yeah, I think it would have to be. Um, But then again, I mean,
3: that's a deep recess. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Well, and once you got inch and five-eighths on this particular one...
1: Yeah. yeah. So
3: you can can get a three-quarter inch... Tube in there pretty easily.
1: You'd have to like probably drill through the sides of the bar, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that your screws are going into like the length, the long axis of the table. Because there's not going to be any thickness left to drive a screw to to physically attach that bar to uh, the table.
5: The, the ones I've seen that, that I think he's referring to are the ones that are like they're bent plates so look like C-channel. So you okay. have two grooves, and you have like a recessed center area, and the center is where you actually do the the screws go in.
1: Oh, okay, okay, but yeah. I'm and also, the, and the walls are not really that long, right? But just yeah, they're maybe like yeah, an ends. inch or so long. But okay, well,
5: yeah. well I'm kind of interested in too with this whole process is maybe it's not necessarily the steel is helping, but it's a fact you're severing you're severing all those fibers, so <laughs> yeah. now it doesn't run. You don't <laughs> That's have a good point. Rain all the way down the whole table. So maybe if you just Put the tabletop over. Take your circular saw and run a few like grooves down just there. Just kerf the hell out of it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you the same thing. That's I was, That's kind of where my mind goes. maybe not it's a, not steel. It's just the fact that you're weakening the top structurally.
3: That's not. That's not a bad way to look at it, man. That's that's an interesting thought. Oh, that's pretty funny.
5: Need some <laughs> research. Someone do some scientific studies on that one.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Someone else. Well, there
5: you Someone go. Someone else do that.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get on. As, long as it's not me, someone else doing. it. All right. So, Matt, the, you're going to be building a boat here from what I'm reading? I don't,
5: I don't know. I, I have an answer for it. That's why I picked it. This is from okay. Daniel. It says, building boats is pretty awesome. At the end of it, you've got a boat, <laughs> which is pretty awesome too. <laughs> at, at some point in the future, would you guys ever see yourself uh, trying your hand and building a cedar strip canoe or some other classic boat project? I mean, hey, you guys already have the marine varnish for it. <laughs> it's true. Love that. We have plenty of that. So I, I wanted to answer this question because I've actually like kind of like tried or started to make a canoe like a long time ago. I went down the whole path of like, you know, I got, I got the book, I got the patterns. I was like going to get the templates ready for the, and then figure out the strong back and all that stuff. And I even started looking for materials for it. Um, and it just never happened. That's, that's my story. This is like 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. The thing I realized about making like an actual sea strip canoe is they're, like, they're long, and it takes up a lot of space. I don't really have the room to do it. Every single time I, I thought about doing it, I'm like, oh, I could do it here. I'm like, okay, yeah, but then I won't be able to like do anything in that space until I finish this boat, which is not a quick project either. Mm-hmm. So I always came back to, like, maybe I'll do it next year, or next year, or next year. And then I was like, it'd be cool, but then, like, where am I going to take this thing? I don't have a lake or anything. Like I have to, like, strap to the roof of my car. And where am I going to put it, like, when I'm not using it? I'm like, yeah, so I'm like, maybe I'll do this someday when I have space for it, because yeah. I would like to do it. It looks like it'd be a really enjoyable project, but I, I don't, I can't, I don't have the space for it, unfortunately.
3: Well, that's one thing I'm thinking about. Like, I have no idea where I would put this thing. I don't have a garage, so yeah. I can't like, put it in there.
5: <laughs> and like a full-size canoe is like 18 feet. You can get shorter ones down there, like 14 or even 12 maybe, but even that, that's like that small at all.
3: No. Where are you going to
5: put that when you're not using it?
3: Right. I think if I ever built a boat, it's something It's something like a, like an instrument. Um, I would want to do it with guidance. I would want it to be like a collaborative project so I could learn the proper way and not necessarily have to like fuddle through it and figure out things that people have figured out a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> hopefully learn to do it right. But again, same thing. I have no idea where I would put the thing and, and store it. So it would be a difficult thing for me to own.
1: And I think that's, there's a lot of places because of the, the, the highly specific nature of the project, there are specific tools that get used. There's You need a big space. So places like the Wooden Boat School, Chesapeake Lightcraft actually is a customer of mine. And I have some of their plans because just like Matt, like, oh, yeah, I totally want to build a <laughs> kayak. And I even have I have the plans for a sea kayak that I would, you know, I, I could get all the materials because I actually supply the materials to the company who got me the plans, mm-hmm. and uh, it just it comes down to one of these days. I keep thinking one of these days maybe I'll build it in like my in laws' place up in Maine because then at least I have a place to stick it when it's yeah. done, and it's a you know two car garage that I could actually find space to do it. But I think if I were to do it, I would probably take a class, like Mark said, because then you're going to their facility, you know, and they've got the space to line up. 10 kayaks or boats however many people are in the class mm-hmm. and go through it but yeah you still got to find a place to put it word you could build a small Irish coracle those little round things that I saw Roy Underhill use one time and he, oh, yeah. he couldn't paddle it and like almost got stuck out in the <laughs> middle of the lake and they quickly <laughs> cut to the end of the show <laughs> the end <laughs> nice so here's a question this is, one of, this is a philosophical question if you build a boat and it sinks is it a boat
3: no. It's a piece of wood on the bottom of a lake.
1: <laughs> so I uh, you know, I'm just as as Daniel said, it's it's awesome because at the end of it you've got a boat. Well, I don't know. Unless it sinks.
3: maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. My favorite <laughs> maybe was the maiden uh, voyage
1: that was quickly ended.
3: My favorite thing was I actually many times got the recommendation to build a boat when I lived in Arizona. <laughs> what? and I had to think about like where is the nearest body of water that I could even set that thing in you know like, like, like a sand boat yeah. uh, like gra- when I was like fan boats? it's an Arizona gravel bro- boat is what it is <laughs> You just paddle your way through all the gravel <laughs> it's a lot of fun
1: it's one of those flower bed features you see the boat turned on its side and the mulch inside yeah, yeah exactly
3: but- Yes, <laughs> with an old bicycle yeah. painted white <laughs> there you go <laughs> Oh man. Wow, I've seen that
1: so many times. All right, this is uh, from Will. He says Can you recommend a book or books that discuss the different styles of furniture making, uh, Queen Anne, Shaker, et cetera? Um, the issue here is finding <laughs> a single book that will discuss all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find lots of books on the Shaker style, lots and lots of books on the arts and crafts style. You can find some great books on Queen Anne some great ones in Chippendale, et cetera. It's just very difficult to find them across the whole spectrum. One that I do know of that I've had for years that I really enjoy is called Furniture, uh, World Styles from Classical to Contemporary. It's by Judith Miller. And it is um, it's huge. It's on Amazon right now for like $19 because it's super old and I think been on a print for a while and not in a good way. Like So the, so the price has gone up a lot. It's just They printed millions of them and um, it's a great book cause it literally is chronological and it starts with like Egyptian furniture and runs all the way up into like studio, um, furniture, Malouf, um, that, that era. So you do get a good sampling of every single period and you get a lot of photos to kind of compare and contrast. And there's also commentary on kind of, these are the defining elements, but again, you're talking two three maybe four pages at most per furniture style with lots of images so it's a great starting point to just kind of dip your toe in and say okay well this is shaker and this is chippendale then from there you can start to define maybe what you're a little more interested in getting a deeper dive in and you know there, are wow i mean the number of green and green books out there the number of Mm -hmm. arts and crafts stickly books and the number of Chippendale books, it's all its all across the board. And basically, Amazon will fuel that rabbit hole for you very nicely because you'll start searching and it'll say, ooh, people also bought this and bought this. All of the wintertime books, American Furniture in, of the Federal Style, American Furniture of the Queen Anne and Chippendale Style, outstanding books. These are museum books, though, so generally they're going to run about $40 to $70. So it can get real expensive real fast. But I do find that those are the best kinds because there's lots and lots and lots of imagery. There's also a fair amount of dimensions built in. So if you do see something, go, ooh, I want to build that. You know how tall it is and how deep it is and how wide it is, and you can you know drive dimensions from there. So anyway, start with Judith Miller's book. It's a great place to start.
3: Nice. I could build that too if I had those books.
6: Yeah,
3: <laughs> likely. It's gonna be my new thing. That I'm gonna say. Yeah, actually, you're right. The stuff he's talking about. No thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a pass on those uh. Oh, good stuff <laughs> alright well if you want to support the show a couple different ways you can do that you could head over to the Wood Whisperer store at TWWStore.com and get yourself a Wood Talk t-shirt you can go to Patreon patreon.com slash Wood Talk and a couple cool things you could do there with stickers t-shirts and you know just helping us out you could also go to iTunes and leave us a review actually you can go anywhere that allows reviews of podcasts and leave us a review that always helps and I do have a review to read here this one is from J Kadalski and uh, it's titled They Didn't Quit, which is awesome. He says, if you're a serious woodworker, this may not be the podcast for you. If (laughs) If you're a hobbyist who's learning the craft or an unserious professional woodworker, then you've come to the right place. Mark, Matt, and Shannon are all very knowledgeable and happy to share their thoughts, ideas, and their mistakes. Each of the hosts has an obvious love of the craft. Mark has the expensive tools. Matt has the giant bandsaw and talks about milling his own lumber and how to turn it into fine furniture. And Shannon has moved almost entirely into the world of hand tools and works in the lumber industry, sharing what's new. Overall, an entertaining podcast that teaches a few things. So thank you so much for that review, Jay. That's a quality review. It's a good one. It's accurate and uh, except for I, I do more than just own tools. Just, I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. I do a few other uh, things. <laughs> uh, some days with you, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, now you build things in the shop to hold them. That's right. Yes. I now build things to hold my expensive tools. It's fine. There you go. I'm <laughs> okay with that. <laughs> Uh, so yeah you could leave us a review like that and uh, we'll read it on the show maybe Uh, Shannon why don't you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here
1: I would love to if you have comments questions or want to know how to use your foam roller to hammer veneer then you can send us a voicemail Use your voicemail app, go to Wood Talk Online, send it to woodtalkonline at gmail.com or go to woodtalkshow.com slash contact. You'll find a contact form there. You can fill it out. You can give us kickback. You can tell us what's new. You can ask a question. You can tell us not to quit. And that's all I got.
3: Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we will catch you next week.
2: Goodbye. See ya. See ya.